0: To the Maya Games, and specifically, welcome back to part three, which is the final part on a series called 2024, the Cosmic Context. Inside of this series, I've been taking a look at the astrology of 2024, and I was really excited about and inspired to share the first two parts, which were the undertones in part one and then what I call the middle tones in part two, so working backwards from Pluto, all the way into Jupiter and then the nodes, which is uh, Jupiter, Saturn and the nodes, which is what was focused on in the mid-tones for part two. I always had less clarity and less excitement around what I wanted to talk about for as far as the upper tones go. And initially I thought I would share like a kind of like a quarterly overview, looking at each quarter of the year and bringing in the themes of the upper tones the planets closer to Earth, the fastest moving planets. But then when it was time to sit down and like, finish organizing my thoughts on it, I just noticed that I really didn't want to do that. Um, I've always been more of a big picture astrologer. And while I have been playing around with and enjoying playing around with forecasting on a shorter term level through Astro Church, I continued to feel most organically drawn to and most just intuitively confident in my translation of the bigger picture stuff. So really nodes, Jupiter and beyond. That being said, I do like looking at the shorter term astrology as it's happening. So what I kind of eventually found clarity on is that I wanted to look at the astrology of the upper tones and how they weave in these background textures of the mid-tones and the lower tones into our more daily, weekly, monthly lives, but it felt inorganic for me to do that. It felt kind of contrived for me to do that for the whole year ahead. So I'm gonna take a slightly different approach to this part three, Um, and then I think what I'm gonna do, at least the vision for now, I have some clarity around this, but it could change uh, when the time comes. I think what I'm gonna do is share a quarterly forecast As each quarter begins and you know we're already into 2024 but what's always felt most natural for me is to divide the quarter of the years not by month but by season because that's actually astrologically aligned right so the astrological new year is at the spring equinox when the sun moves into Aries the Aries ingress and so I'm gonna start or my vision at least is to do quarterly forecasts. Looking at the astrology for each season of the year. So I think I'll begin that at Aries season at the Aries ingress. And in those episodes, I'll bring together what I've shared already in the lower tones and mid tones episodes, with some of what I'm going to introduce today with the upper tones. And I think that'll just feel a lot more organic for me because it'll be the astrology on the more short term level that we're beginning that we're just looking into rather than looking at the whole year at once the only way that for me personally it feels organic to look at the whole year at once is to look at these bigger picture themes which i've already uh, done a bunch of like riffing on and translating on in parts one and two so look out for those episodes quarterly seasonal episodes beginning with a spring season at the solar at or around the solar ingress into aries this spring For this episode, part three of the Cosmic Context, to close out the series on the year ahead, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to share a high-level overview of what the faster planets are up to this year. So that's um, coming from slowest to fastest. That's Mars, Venus, Sun, Mercury, Moon. And I'm going to include a little bit of... Education on when and how and why we pay attention to these faster moving planets because, at least in the way I practice astrology, they have a very different kind of feel and purpose to them when it comes to forecasting than these slower moving planets that are further out. So, this episode is going to feel pretty different than the other ones. We're not going to do a deep dive into each planet, instead, um, we're just going to talk about the basic function of each planet and then kind of like the terrain that it covers throughout the year as well as get a little bit technical in discussing w- what are the qualifiers for when and how and why to pay attention to these upper tone planets. They move so much faster than the lower tone planets in in a way I guess we could say they don't hold as much gravity. And of course the amount of gravity they hold is going to be different for different people at different times in their lives. So I'll get into that a bit But overall, I just take a very different approach to tracking and looking at and forecasting with the uppers. So, yeah, that's my vision for this episode. And then there's the vision of talking more specifically about what these upper tones are up to and how they pull the more background stories forward into our experience on a quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily basis. And that's what I hope to or intend to uh, get into a little more thoroughly at the seasonal episodes, but that's also what I'm taking a look at weekly in Astrochurch. So if you vibe with my forecasting, uh, check out astrochurch, kelsyrosetort.com slash astrochurch. It's not too late to join for those weekly Sunday sermons. Without further ado, the upper tones. So kind of reviewing how the planets that are the focus of today's episode fit into my conceptualization for the lower-tone and the mid-tone planets, which were covered respectively in Parts 1 and Part 2. While the undertones, Pluto, Neptune, Uranus, and for where Chiron is right now in its cycle, Chiron I consider one of the undertones— while the undertones paint the abstract background picture over long periods in the midtones Saturn Jupiter and the nodes carry forward these big picture primary themes of the lower tones into chapters of our life that we register a little bit more consciously that are a bit more prominently focused in our mundane lives the upper tones are what transport that whole cosmic Tapestry that whole cosmic curriculum into the more bite sized, digestible, smaller parts of our year. So, we're talking months, weeks, uh, days, and with the moon, even hours. The planets I'm referring to when I talk about the upper tones are Mars, Venus, Mercury, the Sun, and the Moon. And the movement of these nearer by bodies is significantly less varied year-to-year than the movement of the slower, mid, and lower-tone planets. Many of the upper-tone planets move through the entire zodiac every year, right? So the focus isn't so much about what part of the zodiac, therefore what part of truth, what part of the collective psyche are these planets carrying forward this year? Because most of—well, in 2024, at least, all of them except for Mars— will transit the entire zodiac. And that's the case for most of our upper tones most years. Rather, it's when and how are they aspecting these background tones, and through which filter at what time are they carrying forward these background bigger picture themes. So we can think about upper tone transits showing us how and when we will connect to and engage with the larger themes that are present in the background, with the themes that I've covered up to this point in the series so in today's episode i'm not going to introduce any new themes right because the mid-tone and the lower tone transits those are the themes for the year and then the upper tone transits give us more specific context for how when and in what ways are we engaging with those themes so one entry point for introducing each of the upper tone planets is to talk a little more specifically about what I mean by saying that their movement is less varied. So I want to talk about the more predictable movement of each of these five upper tones uh, relative to the very varied movement of the lower tones, which will spend, you know, in Pluto's case, 15 to 30 years in a sign, or in Jupiter's case, will only cover one or two signs throughout an entire year. The sun is our most predictable planet, right? The sun moves about a degree a day. So it revolves through the entire zodiac every year and is roughly in the same degree of the zodiac on each day of the year, right? So like, for instance, when the astrological new year begins, when the sun enters zero Aries, that's typically March 20th or 21st. So we kind of always know where the sun is just based on what month and day of the year it is, what season it, we're in, and so it's just very, it's very predictable, right? We don't need to discuss that. In July, the sun will be making its transition from Cancer to Leo. What makes that significant and different every year is how the sun then is interacting with the other planets, more in the background and also more in the foreground, because the relationship of the planets to the zodiac and to each other is what gives us this infinitely differentiated experience year to year and day to day. So the sun is our most predictable, least varied uh, planetary body, but it does carry forward these varied themes in both the background and the foreground through its consistent predictable filter of the 12 zodiac signs which it moves through at roughly the same day every year the moon is also very predictable the moon is our fastest moving planetary body it makes it through the entire zodiac not one but 13 times and some change each year it's not as predictable as the sun in terms of when in the year the moon is in each sign but the moon will transit each sign of the zodiac 13 or more times in a calendar year mercury also quite predictable um, but not as much as the sun revolves through the entire zodiac about once a year as well and mercury will have three retrograde periods every calendar year and typically, those retrograde periods take place mostly or entirely within the same element. And in 2024, those retrogrades take place in the fire sign. So we're going to have an Aries Mercury retrograde, a Leo Mercury retrograde, and a Sagittarius Mercury retrograde. And Mercury moves faster than the sun, but because the sun doesn't go retrograde at all, uh, it and en- they end up taking about the same amount of time to actually complete a full revolution. So you've got the Sun and Mercury cover the full ground of the zodiac every year, the Sun at the same time every year, Mercury not at the same time every year because its movement is not as fixed. It's not as predictable due to those retrogrades. Moving on to Venus and then Mars, both of these planets, Mars especially, are even less predictable because they're a little bit slower, right? So we're getting closer to the midtone. Uh, of Jupiter and beyond, planets are moving a bit slower here, which means uh, they're not going to necessarily make that full revolution every year. Venus, as it happens, does make it all the way around the zodiac uh, pretty much every other year. It depends on whether she's in a year where she has a retrograde or not. Typically, Venus will go retrograde for 40 days every other year. We had a retrograde in Leo in 2023, so 2024 is not a Venus retrograde year, which means she does cover a bit more ground, and in 2024, she makes more than a full revolution of the zodiac, so in 2024, Venus kind of joins camp with Mercury and the Sun in that, and I guess the Moon, except the Moon does it 13 times, um, in that all four of these planets will make a full revolution, at least a full revolution of the Zodiac in 2024. In other words, they cover the entire ground of the psyche, of the collective consciousness. Mars um, is the only one of the upper-tone planets that will never make a full revolution of the Zodiac within a year, right? Mars is between Venus and Jupiter. Mars is actually outside of Earth, so it's actually from a heliocentric view. Solar center view, Mars is outside of the Earth. It's between Earth and Jupiter, so it's the only upper tone that's considered to be a superior planet. Mercury, Venus, uh, are inferior planets means meaning they're inside the orbit of Earth around the Sun, and Mars is significantly slower than any of these other upper tones, but it's also more significantly faster than the midtones, so I still place it in the upper tones. But it is our only upper-tone planet that does not make a full revolution of the zodiac in a year, and it never does. Mars typically takes just under two years to get all the way around the zodiac to the same point, the same degree. And within this revolution, this full revolution of the zodiac, Mars will go retrograde um, one time. So Mars typically goes retrograde every 26 months, so just over two years, and it it stays retrograde for two to two and a half months. We don't, we kind of have a Mars retrograde in 2024. It's not a focal point of the year because Mars stations retrograde in Leo at the very end of the year in December. Um, So it will become a focal point in that final quarter, which If I'm looking at the quarter seasonally, which is what I intend to do this year, the final quarter of 2024 extends into the beginning of 2025. So at the turn of the year, Mars retrograde will be significant. Um, But for most of the actual calendar year 2024, Mars is moving direct. And this year, Mars covers about two thirds of the zodiac because for most of the year, it's not going retrograde it's moving forward so it covers a good amount of ground this year but it's still just about two-thirds of the zodiac and i'm going to talk about where each of these planets starts the year and ends the year to give us a little bit of a feel for what they're up to in the year 2024 uh, shortly so now another way of orienting to the upper tones is just through understanding how they function differently in our lived experience as I mentioned when I was introducing why it took me a while to get this episode together and to get clarity on how I wanted to talk about the upper tones, I mentioned that they just have a really different function in how they influence our experience or how they're what parts of our experience they're correlated to than the background planets and the midtone planets. So the upper tones we could say are what transport the whole cosmic curriculum, right? The whole cosmic unfolding into these smaller units of time, these more bite-sized digestible pieces. You maybe could say that they are more like audible rhythms of the year, right? I often like to use a music metaphor as a musician and a former music teacher. And I just picture like a keyboard or a piano. And I, I think I talked about this in part one, I picture Pluto is like the lowest drone, the lowest note. And as you move into the upper planets, each planet has its own key. And the upper tones are higher pitched, but they're also moving faster, more melodically, while the lower tones are carrying like the chordal structure. Um, And then maybe the midtones are just like faster block chords or something. And then the upper tones are this like faster moving melody. And so they're like, even though they're carrying the chordal structure and the tones of what's beneath them, they're the parts that many of our ears will be most attuned to. They're the the fastest moving things, so they're the thing that grabs our attention the most on the day-to-day, on the week-to-week, on the month-to-month. We could say they correlate to how we're dealing with these larger themes um, and how we deal with these larger themes within our own personal psyches as well. So let's do a really brief overview of what each of these upper tone planets corresponds to in our daily, weekly, monthly lived experience. I like to think of the sun as the general filter, right? The sun is what provides light for us to see everything. So what is that primary light being shown through? Uh, I wish I remember who I heard this from. But really early on when I was studying astrology, I heard someone use the metaphor of a stained glass window. Uh, And I think it was like the natal chart that I heard this about specifically at first, but it, it fits with any planetary configuration you're looking at, including transits. If the whole chart, the whole like planetary orchestration of the sky in any moment is the stained glass window with all of its different colors and all of its different shapes, then the sun is the actual light shining through it, right? So the temperature of the light, the vibrancy of the light, And as we start to transfer this metaphor into what actually is the sun in a sign, the quality of the light, the priority of the light, the outlook of that light of the sun is the general filter for our consciousness. So it's what's powering up. It's what's illuminating and showing everything else happening in the sky. So it's really it's the primary filter through which we're experiencing everything else. The moon, then, is the inner reflection and emotive experience. Whenever I'm teaching about the moon, like in my astrology course, which it's not too late to join, uh, if you want to join Sunday school after Astrochurch on Sundays, I like to reference that the moon, we think of it as a light, right? We refer to the sun and the moon together in astrology as the luminaries. But in reality, like what the moon actually is, is a rock. It doesn't actually have... A, A source of light within it like the sun does instead it's a rock in space in close proximity to earth that grabs the light of the sun and reflects it back to us on earth and that's always been kind of like my my go-to Uh, way of understanding the process between these two luminaries between the sun and the moon the sun is the original light it represents the light of consciousness it's the energy the fuel for everything but then the moon catches that light and it sends it back to us on earth so it sends it back to our somatic localized felt experience So the sun is like what's happening in the flavor of what's happening. And then the moon is how we're processing that internally. It's our inner reflection and our emotive experience. Mercury is kind of how we're thinking about what's happening. It's the movement of information. So, you know, the moon is like the felt processing, the emotive processing. And then Mercury is the rational thinking mind processing. It's the faculties of the rational mind. Venus... You know, you know, I love to talk about glyphs, right? The Venus glyph is the circle of spirit over the cross of matter. And so with Venus, we're looking at how does our spirit relate to matter? And what's the influence of our spirit on our experience of matter? So I often my, you know, Venus the standard way of describing the Venusian function is that it's the principle of relating. It's how we relate to others. I also think it's more largely the principle of relating, like how are we relating to life? How are we relating to matter? How is our spirit relating to matter? So, you know, Venus, the glyph also kind of looks like a handheld mirror. To me, Venus is about mirroring. How is everything that's happening, being filtered by the sun, felt by the moon, processed by mercury in the mind, how are we on a spiritual level relating to that? And how is that mirrored back to us through relationships, such as relationships with people, but also the relationship function, more broadly speaking, like how we relate different concepts to one another, kind of like the web of connection. How do, how do we connect different concepts and theories and people and ideas to one another? And then we've got Mars, the circle of spirit with the arrow of action. So what moves our spirit into action? Mars is about our process of individuation. It's about our motivation. It's about our drive. Uh, I like to think of Venus and Mars as a pair. Venus is the glue. Mars is the scissors. So Venus is what connects us to our world, what connects our spirit to matter. Mars is what separates us, what severs us from each other, uh, from our current existence, what separates us and severs us, as in moves us forward into the next thing, as in supports our process of individuation and self-realization. All of these planets, the luminaries, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, as a group, you know, in the context of forecasting and looking at a whole year, I'm referring to them as the upper tones, right? But in natal astrology, they're often referred to as the personal planets, in what I say natal astrology, what I mean is in a natal chart, we often refer to these five placements as the personal planets. Because unlike the mid and lower tones, They don't remain the same for big groups of people like Saturn and Jupiter, a whole cohort of people will have the same placement. Most of the people you went to high school with had one or two, maybe three Saturn signs. Most of the people in your grade had one or two, maybe three Jupiter signs. Right. So they represent a cohort of people because of the speed at which they move. They take a while to move through a sign for the outer planets neptune uranus pluto we're talking generations right whole generations of natives will share a sign but these personal planets move so fast that they describe very unique differentiated configurations of planets which then translate to our unique differentiated configurations of our personalities right so we could apply this concept of personal planets to the upper tones by transit as well The upper tones correlate to how we are engaging with the larger cosmic themes within our personal daily lives and to how we interface with the unfolding program through the more personal parts of our lives. One more way I like to think about the uppers and not even just the uppers because you can apply this to the distinctions that I make and the distinctions that I shared between the lowers and the midtones as well. The closer a planet is to home, AKA to earth or the center of the solar system, because earth is relatively close to the center of the solar system. The closer a planet is to home, the more correlated it is to our more dense and more mundane experiences. <clears throat> so, very much a significant part of what we're experiencing on the day to day week to week month to month as I keep mentioning and even as far as the moon goes like on an hour to hour basis because the moon moves so fast but when it comes to looking at a whole year ahead you know it's just unless you're going to take a really detailed linear approach to the year which is what I landed on I don't actually want to do at least not for the whole year at large um, then there's not a whole lot to necessarily talk about with them, right? But they are a big part of our lived experience on those shorter, more bite-sized uh, terms. So instead of digging deeply into what are these planets doing all year, I, I'm i going to share, like I mentioned, a highlight of like the ground that they cover and when applicable, the retrogrades they take. But before I get into that, I want to just like interrupt myself by sharing uh, on a little more educational or technical level why we might pay attention to these planets or which of these planets we might want to pay close attention to. So I want to give a little more context here so that then as I do my high level overview of what each of these planets are up to throughout the year, um, you have a better idea of which ones you might want to take notes on or pay close attention to or start looking at. So reasons to pay close attention to the movements of these faster planets, as I mentioned, reason number one might be just that you you intend to and you enjoy watching the astrology of each week or each month or each quarter or each solar season. And you might do that because you're an astrology student and you're getting to know how these planets affect your experience. You might do it because you're an astrologer and you're forecasting, etc., etc. If you're not taking that approach and paying super close attention to everything, but you're more just looking for which of these are relevant for me and when and why, then I would suggest looking at the planet that is your chart ruler, which in some cases is one of these upper tone planets, right? So the seven traditional planets, the upper tones and the mid tones can rule one or more of the zodiac signs. So based on your rising sign, you have a planet that is your chart ruler. And I guess I'll just go through that because I think there are probably some people listening to my podcast that are not super astro-fluent. So if you are a Sagittarius or Pisces rising, your chart ruler is Jupiter. So you don't, and that's me, right? So you don't necessarily have a reason to pay super close attention to these upper tones. They're not influencing you as much as they might If they ruled your chart, a mid-tone rules your chart. If you're a Sagittarius or Pisces rising, Jupiter is your chart ruler. Similarly, if you're a Capricorn or Aquarius rising, Saturn is your chart ruler. Uh, If you're a Leo rising, the sun is your chart ruler. So the solar seasons and the solar movement have extremely great influence on you. If you're a Cancer rising, the moon rules your chart. So the moon and lunations, new moons, full moons, the movements of the moon, those quick ingresses of the moon, into a new sign every few days that influences you more than everyone else if you are a gemini or virgo rising mercury is your chart ruler so it's always going to be heavily influencing you so that's a great reason to actually pay close attention to this upper tone and if you are a taurus or libra rising venus is your chart ruler so everything i said applies to you for venus she has a strong influence over your chart and her transits uh, into a sign, aspecting another planet, aspecting a planet in your natal chart are very significant for you especially. And lastly, if you're in Aries or Scorpio rising, your chart ruler is Mars. So the movement of Mars will always influence you quite greatly and that's a really great reason to pay close attention to Mars all the time and also maybe to have a, go- a good glimpse ahead at what Mars is up to this year. The next kind of layer of importance, at least in my practice, is looking at time lords. So I'm not going to explain the technique for time lords. It's called annual perfections or monthly perfections. But if you already work with it or if at some point you learn about it, you have a different planet that is not the ruler of your chart or the ruler of your whole life, but the ruler of like a year of your life at a time or in the case of monthly perfections of a month of your life at a time. So all of us have upper tones as perfected time lords regularly right because the only uh, times that we will have a mid-tone as a time lord is for that last trimester of the zodiac sag cap aqua pisces when jupiter and saturn rule the planets or rule the signs so you can pay attention to uh, the years in which you're in a solar lunar venusian mercurial or martian perfection year Those might be years where you actually want to pay really close attention to what that planet's doing throughout the whole year for you. Or another way of saying it is like, rather than tuning into all of the upper tones, which are always up to so much relative to the mid-tones and the lower tones, now you have a little bit more focus on which ones are going to influence you more greatly based on your chart ruler and based on your annual time lord. You can apply the same... Uh, prioritization at a lower level to your monthly time lords if annual and monthly perfections are something that you work with. Along with perfections, each of us has a house in our chart that's our uh, perfected house every year. And so anytime these upper tones go into your perfected house, that's also going to be significant. So knowing what house or house axis is highlighted for you based on your perfections and then paying close attention to when these upper tone planets activate that house in your chart those are going to be significant moments significant transits for you and that would mean the planets going into that house in your chart by transit it could also mean it's aspecting the ruler of that house in your chart or it's aspecting planets that you have in that house you might also pay attention to a upper tone planet when it's aspecting the planet that rules your chart or the planet that is your time lord Now, if you're not a professional or advanced or at least high-level intermediate astrologer, a lot of that probably went over your head, which goes to show why I don't think it's actually that necessary to get deep in the weeds about these upper tones when we're looking at astrology on a year-long basis. However, there's a little bit of insight for those of you who are kind of late beginner or intermediate and beyond Um, a little bit of insights for where you might go from here with exploring your own personal attention paid to these upper tones. Now, for all of us, what to watch for with the upper tones, things like ingresses, right? So the same way that I highlighted ingresses in the first two parts of this series, like the Pluto to Aqua and then back into Cap and then back into Aqua ingresses in 2024, the Jupiter ingress from Taurus to Gemini, Um, and those are the only ingresses, everything else stays. Ingresses are significant, right? They they show a tonal shift. Now, as I mentioned, these upper-tone planets move a lot faster, so there's a lot more ingresses. The moment of the ingress is significant because that means one of the pitches in the orchestration, and coming back to that keyboard metaphor, one of the notes is changing pitch, so we're going to hear it. We're going to notice that shift. Also, watching for retrogrades and shadow periods for the planets that do move retrograde which in 2024 is just mercury and then at the very tail end mars and then aspects to your natal placement so anytime an upper tone kind of strikes a chord that exists within your own natal chart by aspect that's going to be significant for you and of course aspects to transiting planets so when these upper tones conjoin square oppose trine sextile the midtones and the lower tones they're going to kind of leave their mark on these lower these longer picture these bigger picture theme these longer term chapter stories that I spent all of part 1 and part 2 outlining and not only do they leave their mark but they like enter the conversation with my friend and fellow astrologer Kate heinricher who goes by Girl in the Galaxy she just one time in passing I heard her say like Mars enters the chat and that's always stuck with me like they enter the group chat with these different planets as they come into aspect relationship with them and so when we're looking at the upper tones throughout the year and when I break them down in the probably coming seasonal episodes and when I break them down weekly in the astro church sermons that's what I'm looking at I'm looking at this week how do these upper tones aspect aka Correspond with and draw from and add to these bigger picture themes that are happening on an ongoing basis. And that's different week to week, day to day, most certainly month to month. So now's the part where if you have us, if you know your chart ruler and you know it's an upper tone, or if you know which upper tones are significant for you and when this year based on perfections. You might want to take a couple notes here, or if you're a patron and you're looking at the slides, this is all written out on a slide for you. Now I'm just going to give the actual kind of details of what these planets are up to. I'm not going to translate them because that would take forever to translate all the different aspects that they make as they cover this different ground in 2024. So I'm going to start, I'm going to go from out in. So starting with Mars, Mars started... 2024 at 27 degrees and 33 minutes Sagittarius so late Sagittarius is where Mars entered the year and it ends the year at one degree and 48 minutes of Leo so that's the nearly two-thirds of the zodiac that Mars will cover in 2024 Mars will not cover any ground in in between those signs right so it won't cover any ground between Virgo Libra or Scorpio and most of Sagittarius, because it's it's already out of Sagittarius. It started the year at the tail end of Sagittarius. And it gets a little deeper into Leo than just the first degree. It gets all the way to six degrees Leo. But then on December 6th, it stations retrograde on six degrees Leo. So that's why it ends the year just ahead of two degrees. So again, this is the only upper tone planet that inside of 2024 does not make at least one full revolution of the Zodiac. So one way that all of us could apply this knowledge this information is to look at I would maybe even just start with the Capricorn part of your chart and honestly maybe even end at uh, Cancer because it just starts to dip into Leo and the Mars in Leo story is much more of a 2025 story because um, it's going to spend a lot of time uh, in Leo and also Virgo with its retrograde. So if you're interested in kind of getting a feel for what Mars is going to do in your chart, in your life this year, I would maybe look at your Capricorn house all the way through your Cancer house. That's the part of the Zodiac that Mars will spend time in in 2024. So any placements you have there, get a little activation from the from the planet that is about action and drive and motivation and forward movement. And if you have a working knowledge of the texture of these signs, uh, and it is late Sag to early Leo, but for the bulk of the year, we're talking Capricorn to Cancer, that half of the zodiac, that is, those are the perspectives those are the narratives those are the filters through which mars will do its thing this year and we'll talk about that throughout the year in sunday school and in the quarterly episodes based on where mars is around then venus covers a lot of ground this year because she doesn't have a retrograde in 2024. So Venus covers more than once through the Zodiac. She started the year at three degrees Sagittarius. At the time of my recording, she's already in Capricorn. She'll end the year at 28 degrees Aquarius. So she makes it all the way through the Zodiac and then some, plus almost two signs. Full revolution. So you'll get Venus in all of her flavors this year in 2024. Uh, Mercury also covers almost the whole zodiac this year. Mercury started the year at 22 degrees Aquarius, stationing direct right on the new year. And Mercury will end the year at 20 Sagittarius, so just about two degrees shy of a full revolution. And Mercury will go retrograde three times this year Uh, two of the retrogrades happen entirely in a fire sign and one happens mostly in a fire sign. We've got a Mercury retrograde from April 1st to April 25th, all in Aries. Mercury will station retrograde on April 1st at 27 degrees 13 minutes Aries, will remain retrograde until April 25th, where it will station direct at 15 degrees 58 minutes Aries. And then over the summer, We've got our Mercury retrograde in Leo, although it first stations direct in Virgo and then goes backwards into Leo. So on August four, it's August 4th through 28th is the second mer- Mercury retrograde of the year. August 4th, Mercury will station retrograde at four degrees, six minutes Virgo. And then on August 28th, Mercury will station direct at 21 degrees, 24 minutes Leo. And then in the fall, late fall, we've got our final Mercury retrograde of the year, which takes place in Sagittarius from November 25th to December 15th. On the 25th of November, Mercury stations retrograde at 22 degrees, 40 minutes Sag, and it moves retrograde all the way to 6 degrees, 23 minutes Sag, where it will station direct on December 15th. So if you're at the level of astrological uh, literacy and application where you you look at planetary uh, aspects to your own natal chart, these degrees are significant, right? Not only because this is the cosmic quality that we'll be reviewing by sign or the personal circumstances that you'll be reviewing by house, by house themes, but also if you have planets within this retrograde range, they're going to get three passes of Mercury. So those placements in your chart... Are things that get a little extra focus they get a little extra teasing out this year and if you have planets like around the degrees of stationing right there will be significant moments for you this year as well where mercury is bringing a lot of attention to that planet for you as it slows down to station retrograde or direct and if you're a virgo or gemini rising or you're in a virgo or gemini perfection month or year and we all will be in perfection month at some point in 2024 for both of those signs. Uh, And then those overlap with a mercury retrograde, that's gonna be a more significant mercury retrograde for you as well. So extra info, I'm throwing a lot of paint at the canvas right now. Feel free to disregard what doesn't uh, naturally draw your attention or make sense to you, but there's just more info for how you might think about these upper tones and how you might factor in your awareness of these upper tone movements to the bigger picture themes that I put a lot more emphasis on in the first two episodes. And then we've got the luminaries, the sun and the moon. What ground do they cover? Well, it's different talking about this for the sun and the moon, right? Because the sun is so predictable. It covers pretty much the same ground at the same time every year. And then the moon... Uh, It's going to cycle through everything 13 times, right? It moves through the whole zodiac a little bit more uh, 13 times and then a little bit beyond that into that 14th round. So the sun and the moon are on their repetitive ongoing schedule, energizing the rest of the transits, that's the sun, and reflecting them back to our inner landscape, that's the moon. Things to watch for with the luminaries, the solar ingresses, right? So we have 12 of those within a calendar year. Those are significant. Feeling the tone of the light the tone of the main spotlight on the whole stage or the light getting filtered through the stained glass window that shifts 12 times so I think for everybody paying attention to that is a unique and significant experience each year especially if you are Leo rising and especially when you are in a solar year other things we can all watch for are You know, we can watch for lunar ingresses, but that happens every few days. Watching for lunations is great, new moons and full moons. Watching for eclipses is really important. Um, And if you're in a lunar perfection, you might watch for even more, right? You might really closely follow all the different phases of each lunar cycle. You might follow lunar aspects, which there's so many of them. You might choose some of them to follow, maybe all of them, depending on how committed you are to really watching, you know, the moon is kind of like the second's hand on the clock. So depending on how committed you are to really watching the minutiae of of time passing um, on a Kairos sense, right? Kairos time passing rather than Kronos time passing, which would be the seconds. So taking a linear-ish approach to the year, my initial thought was that I would go through each quarter and I have a bunch of notes from when I presented the cosmic context of 2024 for the omnia network i have a bunch of notes where i looked at like all the transits and all the aspects including of the upper tones throughout the whole year and i have them organized by quarter but what i've decided to do is not look at those today because it just it feels contrived but i'll revisit those notes as we get to each quarter So my current vision for how I'll revisit the overlapping textures of the low, mid, and upper tones throughout 2024 here on the Maya Games podcast are that I will observe the major 2024 themes unfolding quarter by quarter, beginning with quarter one, the spring, the spring equinox through the summer solstice, sun and Aries Taurus Gemini, um, and then beyond. So quarter two, summer solstice, Cancer Leo Virgo, quarter three, uh, fall equinox, Sun in Libra, Scorpio, Sag in quarter four, winter uh, solstice, sun in Capricorn, which takes us into the new year, Aquarius, and Pisces. So, um, yeah, I'm going to shift into a seasonal approach for quarterly episodes. I think, you know, anything could change between now and the Aries ingress, but that's my intention for now. Um, That being said, I hope this was helpful. I was a little, I don't know how much of my vision I shared. In my head, I'm like, this is totally different from what was expected in part three, but I don't know what you expected. I don't know what I, I don't know if, what, if anything, I shared about what I intended to do. I think I did at least once say that I was going to do a quarter by quarter forecast. Um, So if you want that, continue to tune in, Um, but I hope this kind of overview of the distinction between how to observe the upper tones made sense and the little bit of Statistical info that I shared about what the upper tones are up to this year. I hope that was helpful for you if you're still in this kind of looking ahead at the year energy here in late January 2024. It's really um, energizing and encouraging for me to know that people are listening and finding it useful. So I would be so grateful if you were to let me know in some way that you're listening and, and maybe that you're enjoying as well. So consider leaving a review, whether it's just the stars or a comment as well. If you're listening on Spotify, you can even leave a comment about the, each individual episode. I love when people share there. Um, and of course, you can share on social media, tag me, Kelsey Rose Tort, or the podcast at the Maya Games to show support. If you want to catch the video version of the previous two episodes and the slides for this one, as well as support continued production of the Maya Games podcast, I invite you to become a patron for $8 a month, link in the show notes, and to engage with me on a more fine-tuned level, like to look at the minute hand of the Kairos clock. I'd love to invite you once more to join me on Sunday mornings for Astro sermons that weave it all together according to what's most relevant and sacred in the week ahead. We're just a few weeks into it at this point. It's uh, an offering that I'm playing with for six months, so it'll go through June, and it's not too late to join. Um, I'm really having a lot of fun with it, keeping the sermons short, concise. They're about 45 minutes each week. Um, I share a prayer each week. I kind of walk you through the astrology. Uh, Sometimes I share quotes and poems and memes, and then I end it with a prayer. And they are broadcasted live, so you can join on Zoom, but they're also recorded and shared just a couple hours after they happen. So you can sign up to just receive them and listen on your own time each week. And there's also room for a few more people to join Sunday school. So if you join Sunday school, you automatically get access to Astro Church and you also get my full astrology course curriculum, which is, I mean, if you're listening to this, you listen to the first two ones and I already bragged about how good it is. So I won't do that again. Um, we're only two weeks in. So you're only like less than three hours, quote, behind on um, curriculum. So it'd be easy to catch up. That's another six me- six month experience. Very intimate. I think there's only like 10 people in it. So you get a lot of intimate attention on your chart and on applying the concepts to your own chart and transits. And yeah, you haven't missed that much yet. So there's a room for a few more people if you're interested in that. You can sign up or reach out if you have questions. That is all for today. And I'm excited to have tied up the loose ends on this 2024 Cosmic Context series so that I can create a little space and see what inspiration comes through for the next little bit of the Maya Games podcast. Thanks for listening with me. Thanks for daydreaming with me. Thanks for tapping into these way out there frequencies with me. And I'll, uh, I'll see you out there in the Maya.